news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You know what you're thinking. Mine's bigger than yours, right? It's not fair. Throw it away. All right? Tons of popcorn there. Yeah. And all you gotta do is go climb a tree to go eat it. <laughs> it was a night like any other night. Then something happened. Oh, good lord. It's. It's unbelievable. It's. It's horrible. Welcome to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema. The sleep of reason gives birth to monsters. Hi, my name's Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best and worst of horror, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic wasteland, kung fu, and women in prison movies from the 1960s to today. Check us out at reallyawfulmovies.com, part of the Crypt TV family. The year 2000. America is a vast speedway. People line the streets to witness the greatest drivers on earth in a race from sea to shining sea. This is a death race. You finish first, or not at all. Death race 2000. Every car a deadly weapon. Every spectator a potential point. Traffic is murder. Who are you anyway? Best driver on earth. I don't want you to die. He was built by the world's finest surgeons to drive the fastest car ever designed, and nothing can stop him now. Death Race 2000, rated R. We're downtown Toronto headquarters. Here's episode 159, Death Race 2000. <laughs> it's weird saying it like this. I'm sitting here like, no, the reason like a Buddha here. Yeah, no, I'm just laughing right now because uh, the downtown Toronto headquarters has uh, had a recent acquisition, and it's that would be a new a new sofa. Yeah, your place has been tricked out. Yeah, the old one was uh, was definitely worse for the wear. There was a uh, how would you describe it? There was a giant sinkhole in the middle <laughs> with a spring that was uh, yeah <laughs> doing uh, damage to uh, my posterior. Uh, so now uh, I've, was, I've decided to avail myself of the um uh what is this here this would be the, the, the reclining the uh, reclining option yeah and so i'm i'm extraordinarily comfortable so this right is now. a dual recliner yeah instead of getting uh, getting springs <laughs> you know ripping apart your uh your hmm. rectum I'm, I'm comfortable saying it yeah yeah <laughs> it, it was unpleasant you know yeah. uh so you're now not, i'm you're now you're now luxuriating in i am i'm luxuriating soft Corinthian leather no and, and, uh, and a nice recliner and we're going to bring to you a fireside chat of because we've all, we've also kitted out the uh, the apartment. television which is playing a, a a fire. I could turn that on right now. Actually, <laughs> yeah. yes, there is a, a fire channel on TV. Yeah, and we are in the Christmas spirit. If you haven't already guessed, and we are excited to all 
you know, bits to be talking about this production by the King of the Bees, and we like to think of ourselves as trumpeting bee films. We love the bees. This is a Roger Corman production from the 70s, which we're completely all over. I don't love the bees. The, you, the killer bees? Yeah, like the Africanized no, bees? Not African bees, but just bees. The, have you been stung by bees? Yes, yes I have. I so have I. <laughs> all right. Over a dozen times. At once? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I hate the bees, man. Oh but... my god. Why were you swinging at that hive? It's a long story. Mm. Uh, this is true, but the bees, this is Roger Corman. God love him. The man's like in his 90s. May he live forever because he produced so many things that are so indelible I don't to know, us. Man. I like don't... Just the Philippines scene. How many times have we talked about somebody on our podcast and a week later they picked the bucket? Oh my God! <laughs> and this is 2016. Fair enough. Fair enough. This is a, the, no one is safe. We're not. We're not out of the woods yet. It's not 2017. Uh, are you putting Alan Thick on the same pedestal as David Bowie? I never mentioned Alan Thick or David <laughs> okay. Bowie. All right. Well, David Bowie is a major loss of this year. Yes, princes and uh, yes. Fair enough. But I don't think we, we we would be killing a man in his 90s. Like the average lifespan is 78 for American men. This guy has lived a long, fruitful, productive. Why are you talking about him in the past tense? Because you're making the assumption we're killing him. With we're this not podcast. killing him. No, we're not. <laughs> so don't don't say we're killing him. May he live. May he live another twenty years. May he live another thirty years. Forty years. Why do you only wish him a lifetime? <laughs> to his life, Lachaim. Lachaim. To Roger Corman. Roger Amazing Corman. man. The king of the bees. Yes. You suggested that I see this, and maybe I'm exposing here my lack of B movie bona fides because shocker of shockers. I had not seen this, and how it's possible that someone could not have seen a seminal, early Sylvester Stallone, Roger Corman produced, uh, like, racing movie is beyond the pale. So I apologize to our audience for that. I did not see this. I apologize. I feel I have to, because this should be seen by everyone. I was cast by my tattoo artist earlier this week for not having seen Rudy. I've never oh seen Oh my Rudy. god. <laughs> okay, fine, yeah. But at least you know the joke, so you could contribute on that front. Like a short, stumpy guy who mm-hmm. sucks and like tries his hardest to make the football team, that's a Rudy. So at least you know like the cultural significance it's taken on. You don't need to see the whole movie, mm-hmm. really. This one you actually do, because this is the precursor uh, to a movie we've lauded uh, under the pen name of Richard Bachman. I always want to say Randy Bachman. Like, <laughs> Bachman Turner Overdrive. But Stephen King, uh, source material. Seen yet. Bow, bow, done. Hey, <laughs> ain't hey, seen hey, nothing hey. yet. Uh, the Running Man, Taking which we were... Taking care of business. business. Every day. Uh, we always thought, okay, The Running Man, that's the movie that launched Jennifer Lawrence and the Hunger Games and all this stuff. But really, this... What? Jennifer Lawrence was in... <laughs> nitpicking here okay that style of movie launched the movie that's taken on such a global significance as you know uh, that movie the hunger games but you have to give credit where credit is due because this is the movie that influenced the movie that influenced the movie that influenced the movie when you want to include battle royale as well so this is a deathmatch movie this is instead of having inmates who are in exchange for their freedom, they have this weird game that they have to play for their freedom. Here, the people are lauded for their ability to be combatants. So it's kind of a throwback to ancient Rome where 
the gladiators were held in high esteem by the emperors. Mm -hmm. So this is an interesting take here. We have a dystopian future where people are somehow amused by inexplicably people committing vehicular homicide by killing people with their cars. And they're rewarded by not only a big viewing audience, but by points. So if you kill an old person, you get tons of points. Uh, have you ever played a Deadpool? Well... Because it, I, I'm just because it's it's funny because that values old people less because old people are going to die sooner. Mm -hmm. So if you were to have like I don't know River Phoenix in your pool, you get what did he die of at age thirty something? Well, so you he would get a lethal injection of a speedball outside uh, the Viper Room. But yes, uh, he died. So you subtract the points from a hundred mm -hmm. from his age, you get more points than if you say pick the Pope. Pope's an old man; yeah, well, he's going to die. When you uh, said Deadpool, I was just thinking about well, there's of course there's that movie, uh, the comic book movie, but then there was also uh, was there like Clint a Dirty Eastwood Harry? Movie. Yeah, 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 with with Slash in the scene uh, with Guns N' Roses in the in the funeral scene with uh, with Jim Carrey lip syncing <laughs> yes. in the jungle. That was the worst Dirty Harry movie of the bunch, and that put a nail in the franchise. Definitely, but, yeah, yeah, the Deadpool. Uh, I've never played the Deadpool. No, I know I used to listen to Howard Stern, and they used to do a Deadpool or a Deathpool. I, I believe is, is... It's, 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 yeah the correct term, and that's incredibly morbid. And mm. it's funny you mentioned Howard Stern because that ties into a movie that Paul Bertel directed called Private Parts, and uh, Paul Bertel directs this movie. Mm -hmm. And I was a big fan when I was younger because the guy made these transgressive, wild, sex-filled romp movies that really touched me as a kid. Oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a Jim Sandusky kind of line. But the movies yeah, didn't touch you. You watched the movies and you were touched by. I was touched. Yeah. Something. Yeah. I don't want to. Not know, a transitive verb, but yeah. Was yeah. Just exactly. Touched. You were touched. Uh, but yeah, and I thought, okay, you after seeing. Yourself. <laughs> I... <laughs> uh, well, now I want to sing that uh, that song. I touched myself, but yeah, like the divinals. Go for the it. The divinals. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like I, I really dug. Uh, eating Raul and really what dug... do he taste like <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah you're going off the rails really... yeah like I, I really liked that I liked Private Parts so it was like okay why did I not see this movie given that I like Paul Bartel and it's like okay so this movie so you were touched and you like Private Parts and... <laughs> just okay really this is, this is yeah, I, I'm no, sorry no but I, I want to say that thanks big time <laughs> for recommending that we discuss this movie because uh, it really got short shrift uh, and now I'm going to put it in the same pantheon as Running Man for these types of movies and uh, you don't really think about this but it is that style of movie and not well received at the time but since then with the passage of time we've elevated it we've elevated it? it's been okay. elevated <laughs> it's been elevated yeah yes in, in indeed. Pa passive voice yeah yeah we're elevating it like a dish on Gordon Ramsay's MasterChef. Yeah, no, no. Death Race 2000 is a cult classic, so I cannot say that we're elevating it. It's been elevated. When it was released in 1975, it was a driving flake. It was a, a Roger Corman production. This is a time of Roger Corman, the King of the Bees. He no longer was directing. His last proper film as a director would have been probably The Trip, in 1967, which I still have to see. I, I want yeah. to say Peter Fonda's in it. I, I think that I okay, have the somebody, movie, but okay. I get to watch it. But yeah, Peter Fonda. I believe Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson yeah. It's one of these hip, hip, hip exploitation, hip exploitation, uh, LSD sort of. Uh, I don't know if it's pro LSD, anti LSD. I'm sure they're all on LSD. So. They're all on, exactly. <laughs> 
He did uh, make a return to the director's chair in the late 80s for a very tepidly received film called Frank Sent Unbound. And when I say tepidly received, even tepidly received by the director himself, Corman, he's not a big fan of it. I mean, the, the reality is that in the 70s, he segued from being a director to being a producer. And films are coming out. And this is what, see, this is the thing, because you, you watched a documentary, Corman's World, right? Yes, I did, yeah. And how many luminaries were there singing the praise of this mm-hmm. man and giving him credit mm-hmm. for giving them a chance, getting them their start in in Hollywood. Yeah, indeed. You know, your, your Scorsese's, your uh, your Nicholson's, your Fonda's, mm-hmm. your... Um, I want to say Coppola. I hope that's correct. And if it's not, but again, anyway, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You mentioned these guys from Joe the Mount- Dante, yeah. Piranha. You know, uh, so yeah, this is the time when those movies were coming out. Your Big Bad Mamas, your, uh, your, you know, the Pam Greer movies, T.N.T. Jackson, yeah, all the, the schlock the, film in the Philippines, the W.I.P. movies. You know, your Big Birdcage, your Big Dollhouse, the Arena. I mean, Corman. These were just stone cold classic films that Corman, the Corman production house was churning out one after another after another. Now, were they well received critically? No. This movie was reviewed by Roger Ebert, and he gave it zero stars. In other words, he said it was worthless. When you give something zero stars, you say there's absolutely no worth whatsoever. This is not a worthless movie. (laughs) Not at all. This is a worthwhile movie. If it works on two levels. On the one hand, you have this really sort of kick-ass film with these really interesting... Souped up, yeah, tricked out automobiles, automobiles. Like, like like your uh, sofa right here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How's that? Yeah, you like the recliner. Right well, I, I'm just I'm loving it. It's okay. just so great. Yeah, it's good to have a good recliner every now. And then. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so you have the yeah. So you have these vehicles, and they're driven by these larger than life characters. Your calamity Janes, your machine gun Joes, your. Uh, Frankenstein's. We'll talk about that in a moment or two. Yeah. But on the other hand, this also is, there's social satire involved as well. This is a movie that takes place in a dystopian society after the world crash of 79 where I guess we're meant to assume that the world is being governed by uh, a party by the name of the Bipartisan Party. And we have this, this president and you don't see him in the flesh at the beginning. He's, he's seen on a screen descending a global staircase. <laughs> and he's the, his representative is the deacon of the bipartisan party. But they're there to introduce the combatants of this annual transcontinental road race, which is the death race. And the masses are there to watch this race and to be placated, to see homicide to see carnage, to see death, to see destruction. But, as is um, indicative of anything that Paul Vertel is attached to, this also has his tongue firmly planted in cheek. Mm-hmm. So there's some very interesting satire. There's some good gore. There's some good nudity. And there's some good humor. And it's just a really fun movie. Yeah, and I was thinking, too, because, again, this is set into the far-flung future, but I didn't foresee growing up as I did a boxing fan that uh, because this appalled me at the time when I first saw it UFC which I'm a fan of but I admit doesn't it doesn't lift humanity up uh, it it's n- not good the fact that people are voluntarily beating the snot out of people doesn't make me feel better as a human being it makes me feel worse but I'm still entertained by it and the same could be said of our 
national sport, and it's fair to say about which neither of us is a fan, although it's so super saturated in Canada, and which got me thinking too, because we're supposed to be such peaceful, cheery people and friendly, and we're entertained by what's essentially a blood sport on ice, where I remember, I think this was in the 90s, there was a goalie uh, for Buffalo, and someone skated into him and slit his throat, and he was bleeding like a stuck pig on the ice, and people are entertained by seeing people harmed, and that's something kind of upsetting, and uh, I, I admit I'm a hypocrite because I like the UFC, but there, what better sport to satirize that than auto racing, which kills most of its stars more than any other sport. Can you think of any other sport where, like, Michael Schumacher has been in a coma for, like, months. He was the big Ferrari racer from Germany. He's in it. Like, every superstar dies. Yeah. He dies. Was it Dale Earnhardt? Or Dale, yeah, and, and like, the uh, Villeneuve, the Canadian driver. His dad died. Okay. So, it makes you think, oh, geez, there's a line of work I really want to go into when everyone dies. Like, imagine the NBA, like, LeBron James died or somebody every year. Like, it's crazy. It's nuts. And... Uh, the people are not exactly, like, they shouldn't be let off the hook either. Not only are they into this blood sport, these people are kind of, I mean, this is a weird future. There's a, a representative of the Aryan race, Matilda the Hunt, and has supporters. Uh, they wave swastika flags. She has a cohort. Now you might call them the alt-right. Uh, there's... No, don't even say that. Uh, well, the the people who, like... Well, I was saying... Are, kind of, whose sensibilities are white nationalism. That kind of weird shit. Weird shit. Weird shit. Whatever you want to call them. The alt-right. The neo Nazis. Yeah, yeah. Synonymous. Whatever you want to call them. And then there's, like... Uh, there's a gangster guy who mm -hmm. is played by Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone. Stallone, who has a Tommy gun, and he's lauded for being like he's an unabashed gangster in a way that rappers in the '90s were the same. Well, so he's he's sort of like a what? kind of like an Al Capone analog. His name is Machine Gun Joe. Uh, you know, echoes of Machine Gun Kelly, what yeah. have you. Um, there's also a sort of like I mean, yes, this is a blood sport. So. To reference, you know, the blood sports of old, the gladiatorial contest. Combat, yeah. You have Martin Cove playing uh, Nero the hero. Nero the hero. <laughs> yeah. straight, straight out of Ben Hur, where he's he's like wearing that leather that you know Charlton Heston had, and he's saluting the crowd, and he's you know he might as well be in a chariot. So this is an obvious nod to that kind of the continuity, historical continuity mm -hmm. of this kind of savagery, really. Sure, and I mean you can even say that the Western uh, era was rather savage as well, and there's a representative from there as well. That being Calamity Jane Kelly, ah, yes. played by the uh, the leggy and incomparable and super attenuated and, limbs, yes, uh, Mary Warnoff, Mary Warnoff, the uh, Warhol factory girl mm -hmm. who was in now three movies that we've podcasted. I think more. I, we've, we've talked probably a lot more. About, yeah. Many a movie that Mary Mary Warnoff. She's and, amazing. Yeah, like, she's, she just picks great films. I guess you could say that she's a, a B movie icon. And there's so many. I mean, when you say three, what are the three movies that we've talked about, about where Mary Warnoff is? Oh, jeez. Uh, okay, there's a, a hotel horror that is synonymous with another movie of the same name, uh, where there's, uh, you know, people uh, institutionalized against their will. Hellhole. That was not a hotel horror. Hospital horror. Hospital horror. My, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, we wrote about this for Daily uh, Dead. And... Yeah, no, indeed. Yeah. Did I say hotel horror? Ah, oh, God. Yeah. But, You're uh, too relaxed. This recliner is uh, it's not yeah. serving me well. Okay, a hospital horror. So, but yeah, again, so that's three films with her. And well, that was just one. What was the other two? Well, this one and uh, Eating Raoul, where right. she played Mary Bland, uh, you know, famous for creating the, I, I love this, it just makes me smile, the Bland Enchilada, mm -hmm. which is going to be the, 
specialty of the restaurant once they finance it by killing a bunch of perverts from the personal ads. So, and who yeah. was your co-star in Eating Room? It all comes back to this. Paul Blunt. Uh, yeah, her husband in the movie, <laughs> Paul, Paul Bartel. Yeah. Paul Bartel. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. He was her co-star. He also wrote it, directed it. Paul Blunt was his character. Paul yeah. Bartel is the... Yeah, is the director here, and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, like, we talk about the king of the bees, uh, Roger Corman. My God, if you could find, let's say, the first family of the bees would be the Carradines. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the Frankenstein film that Roger Corman was involved with that was rather tepid. Well, here we have Frankenstein as a driver. He is the anti-hero here, the character Frankenstein, played by David Carradine. I mean, this guy has been in just... It's got to be 100, 120 movies of all stripes. And I was laughing because this is the second movie I saw him in where he wears a prosthetic killer hand mm-hmm. and i thought what kind of body of work like, is so expansive that you can say that because you would have thought that oh geez i play another guy who wants to kill another guy with a hand that's a little weird but the carradine family yeah like well, it's his brother the, it's a dynasty yeah, yeah up there with the uh, kind of a dynasty of um the, the, questionable the, films but yeah, i mean not the really I mean, like well, I mean, except okay, for i mean you know the 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 sire john carradine mm. this is a man i mean he was in you know movies like stagecoach and grapes of wrath and whatnot but he's ultimately known for being a horror actor he took over the role of dracula in the universal horror movies starting with like house of frankenstein house of dracula he was also some mummy movies and i mean near the end of his career there was not one horror movie that he, he said no to he was in movies like ted v michael's astro zombies he was in uh shockwaves he was in so many movies i, I can't even say anymore. oh ted v michael's another like you know 2016 was took him as well i know yeah. it's, it's just been a rough yeah <laughs> But uh, and then he three sons and they uh, they all were actors. Mm-hmm. Keith Carradine. Keith Carradine was in Nashville. He also played uh, was it Detective Lundy was that his name and Dexter. Yeah, yeah, the love interest of Dexter's sister. Uh, yeah, like god awful. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Deborah I mean, Morgan, but, uh, but you could argue he sort of steals the show here. Well, not him, but his brother. Well, uh, but then before we were still talking about the Carradines, mm. and then you got Robert Carradine. Who oh. is who played um, Rent of the Nerds? He was uh, not Gilbert, not Gilbert. Who was the other nerd? Oh God, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the laugh. Uh, uh, I know. Yeah. Uh, damn it! All right, well, the lead I, nerd. Yeah. yeah, the lead nerd. Well, I got the impression in, so it's okay. No, you didn't do that impression that well. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do a much better Stallone. But do we mention that Stallone is in this movie? We did indeed, and okay. Stallone, uh, Machine Gun Joe, again a nod to Machine Gun Kelly, a nod to Machine Gun Joe Viterbo. Viterbo, which is you know uh, I want to say it's a homonym, but a word that sounds the same, spelt the same, differently. Jeez, I don't know, but Turbo is like Viterbo. He's uh, this gangster. He's the main, I guess, um, you know, competitor to the. Frankenstein driver who's mm-hmm. in a wetsuit. Like, well, what, how would you do the Batman? Like, what is he? He's exactly? not even some some Darth Vader esque. I mean, the thing about about Frankenstein is when it comes to this annual transnational race. road race, yeah. Frankenstein is the myth. He is the legend. He is the man. He is the champion amongst champions. Mm-hmm. The story is that you know he was involved in this accident, and this <laughs> limb was replaced, and this he's more machine than man. He is. Yeah, he's, he wears a mask. Covering his face, a leather mask, and through the eye holes, you can see that his face is scarred up. Well, 
this is a man that wears many masks, and we yeah. don't want to spoil too much, but, you know. Uh, there he's, he wears a cape, he's got a leather suit. He is the champion. He's the odds-on favorite to win. This is a race to the death. But as we we said before, or maybe we didn't say it, I can't remember, yeah. uh, it, it's not so much a, to the death of the combatants, although they can They be, can and do die, and mm-hmm. that's not too much of a spoiler. Uh, yeah, it, it's a death of, well, anyone with the misfortune of being in the way of these roadsters on their cross-continental journey. And mm-hmm. this made me laugh, too, because in The Purge, there's a, a crime day whereby the criminals are allowed to go commit crimes and kill each other as a way to, I guess, cut crime. And so they say crime is legal for a day. Uh, you know, people can shutter themselves indoors and hide. You would think that this is such a popular program on television that the people would know about this show and would stay indoors. You have a death race, not the purge. The death race and the purge. Okay, yeah, the death race for sure. No, the purge was not televised. Uh, Okay, but the purge, uh, the death death race was certainly televised and these people are still out and about. And I would be like, well, we're in wonderful confines here. No car is going to get us here. We're on the seventh floor of a high-rise in Mm -hmm. Toronto. We're safe. But I would not want to be... I wouldn't even go to the corner to pick up some milk. I would stay indoors all day. Well, there was was an interesting... I mean, at one point, there's uh, an old folks' home, and they call it National Euthanasia Day, where the, the nurses, the orderlies, wheel out all these biddies, and... The driver... Who yeah, it's is, a race to so, get to the biddies. Well, but it's supposed to be Frankenstein who's supposed to, at that point, mow them all over and score a bunch points. of points. Because mm. you get, you know, diff- different demographics will give you different points. An older person will net you, let's say, 70 points. Uh, a baby will get you, I don't know. Yeah, a teenager somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Frankenstein actually defies all expectations and mows down the nurses. Frankenstein has his own agenda. Yeah. And that's all we're going to say about Frankenstein. The point of this movie, though, it's a satire. It's a dystopian society where the masses get their entertainment from watching carnage, real carnage, bread and circuses, similar to the gladiatorial contest in Rome. Yeah, and this is also a send-up not only of that, but of the, uh, I guess, the machinations of... Journalism, celebrity culture, because there are the the uh, the brunt of some of the attacks that Paul Bortel makes are against the people who are complicit in pushing the sport on the masses. And at the time, I don't know if our listeners will know about Howard Cosell, who was a broadcaster during the time, uh, who would he was kind of a loquacious guy with a vocabulary top drawer vocabulary, who would make all these crazy historical references in the context of like a dopey baseball game. And there are characters in this movie that sent up. That guy. So these these people who are essentially enablers to this, people who should see because they're journalists see that this is nasty business and but, see that but yet they don't. There's also they're that derelict whole, in their duty well, of well, reporting yeah, that no, it's but nasty there, there, business. There, there's also that send up of you know sycophantic celebrity culture. Oh yeah, yeah. You have another reporter by the name of Grace Pander, appropriate <laughs> last name, yeah, yeah. and everybody is my dear good friend, my dear friend, my dear friend. Then there's uh, Junior Bruce, this very uh, enthusiastic proponent of the race. Yeah. And when the movie begins and they make this proclamation, oh, great American multitude of sports fans everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> sort of equating sports fans to the multitude. And I'm not a sports fan, but... Casual, we could say. 
You. I'm well, not. Yeah, but when the Jays are doing well, we've been known to. I'm a bandwagon jumper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Me too. But yeah. It's interesting how they're sort of equating a multitude to sports fans. Sports fans, I mean, when you watch a sport, really, like, for example, a game of football, is that that far removed from watching. The Gladiators versus the Lions Den. Oh, well, certainly not, especially when uh, football players are notoriously plagued by uh, brain injury. That they're finding that uh, in uh, posthumous, uh, you know, examinations that their brains are similar to people who suffer from advanced forms of dementia. So what you're seeing is when when a linebacker tackles a running back, is you're seeing people who are committing self brain injury in real time, and that's. Yeah, and at least I feel better that they're being compensated so handsomely because they die at a much younger age. They're there solely to entertain us, and they put their lives and their bodies on the line. And for what? Twisted when you think about it, that they're there solely for us. It's a little bit weird. But, yeah, and, and the whole thing about sports, like they... I mean, there are very few things, now that people don't go to church anymore, that bring people together in a way that is what you want to call culture, cultural continuity. Like, I watched soccer with my dad, and that's good, but it's not like it... Well, we, sorry to interrupt you, but we, we can't talk in absolutes. You say, no, no, true. Hurricane more, but I guess... For the, yeah, in the West, maybe, to yeah. a certain extent. Like, something has to fill the void of of gathering together en masse and, and, or, you know, participating in some sort of sacrament and chanting and some sort of mass participation. It's a little weird. Well, what is that if not television and... I guess know, so, yeah. For the cathode ray, as he, as he talked Yeah, about there's it. a famous book called Bowling Alone, where uh, the author bemoaning the lack of institutions that would bring people together. People used to be on part of teams that would get people together and they would have these... You know, meetings, and now people are a little desensitized by new media and being at home all the time. Hell, we're home right now, enjoying media. But yeah, it's it's there's lots of things going on in this movie. Not to mention, on the political front, you have this dystopian one leader, you know, like a Kim Jong Un ill type figure. But there's a group of rebels, like plucky rebels, like Star Wars, and they're trying to take down this blood sport, and they're the conscience of the viewer in mm -hmm. a way, right? And they're called, jeez. They're, they're well. I don't know what they're called, the rebels, or but they're led by like a descendant of Thomas Paine, who led the American Revolution, Thomasina Paine, mm -hmm. and they're trying to do what's right, but doing it in the wrong way because they're sabotaging the race with violence. So it it asks the question. Well, hold on. You, no, no, I don't know. I, you said they're trying to do what's right, but doing it the wrong way. Well, <laughs> somehow, how, sometimes you have to do the wrong thing to be right. There, it's like yeah. it ends justifies the means. Mm -hmm. Like they're. They're bombing, and they're trying to be disruptive, like, you know... One, well, one thing that Thomas freedom fighters does sort of, say yeah. at one point is that the age of obedience is over. So, a lot of this movie is sort of um, inference, as opposed to... Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't quite show, it doesn't quite tell, but we infer. And there's a lot of things, you know, the world, the world had crashed, maybe one world government, uh, there's insurgents, etc., and the populace is placated and one of the ways they're placated is through this death sport through this uh death race yeah and we have this, this group of insurgents this group of rebels who are trying to <laughs> bring it down by sabotaging by often hilarious means we mm -hmm. should say but by yeah sabotaging the part you know participants and finally getting people on board to their cause and it, it, they're kind of overtly 
uh, I don't know, this is a class thing. Maybe it's a Marxist thing. They're overtly, uh, implicitly, they're working class people, are they not? They're blue-collar people in a factory, mm -hmm. and they're the ones organizing this to maybe overthrow the... Uh, the one percenters. Yeah. Who knows? Like you well, can read so much the into it. The reality is, there's a lot of. I mean, this this movie works on a couple levels. Because like on the one hand, it's just a fun movie with these really crazy cars. Like for example, you, you know, describe um, Frankenstein's car. It's got these like you know claws coming it's out like of it. It's like reptilian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> almost know, almost done like Stegosaurus yeah, in a way. It's got these like humps and it's yeah. And they're driving around and they're you know killing those unfortunate bystanders happening their way in some pretty. I'm not going to say, I mean, gruesome ways, yes, but it's tongue-in-cheek. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of nudity. There's a lot of cheap thrills in that sense. It's just a fun movie yeah. with, a, with, a, with a race, a good old-fashioned road race that also involves vehicular homicide. But on the other hand, there are some sort of subversive elements. One of the contestants, and I believe you mentioned her, her name is Matilda the Hun. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah and again, you know, uh, this sort of... Uh, you know, unpalatable, but uh, but again, like her fans are Nazis, and well, she's I, basically she's she's you know dressed, Ava Braun or something. Yeah, exactly. But but yeah, is she just meant to represent a subset of the populace, or is she like what is she exactly? But yeah, it's interesting. Is she part of the government? Because we're led to believe that the Frankenstein character is the surrogate of the government. He's the hero that we're supposed to all be I believe everybody invested. else is autonomous from the government. Oh, okay. So they're maybe just trying to get all their bases covered for different types of people who would appeal to different people I by having know. a female driver, maybe? I don't know. Well, there's, well, there's a couple two female drivers. Yeah, 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 who but, knows? No, but she's, you know, she yeah. is the bedecked in the regalia of, you know, the... You have the Third Reich. Third Reich. Yeah, it's a, you also have the Stallone character, uh, Machine Gun Joe, and he's, at one point, when he's being booed by the Frankenstein fans, he shoots his Tommy gun into the audience. Yeah, we don't see if he kills them at all, or whether they, maybe he was shooting blanks. But yeah, it has a definite Again, the implications. Are yeah, really it has a definite like world wrestling entertainment uh, setup and conceit because you have these larger than life uh, comic book type characters that everyone can root for and be invested in. Whether you're Batman analog, who's the Frankenstein, or what have you, it doesn't matter. There's someone for everyone. You know, they're pretty great characters all across the board, and we, we're not going to spoil it by saying who defeats whom and who's left standing at the end. Uh, we're, we're not going to give any, to the best of our abilities, not going to give any sort of spoilers, but it's safe to say that each of these drivers is involved in some pretty amazing kills and pretty hilarious gambits by the rebels to try and throw them off course, as it were. And one of the drivers literally. is not quite who they seem. This is true. And ultimately, too, this is a bit of a treatise against violence. I mean, yeah, over the sure. closing credits, you have a uh, text that says, Murder was invented before man was able to think. Now man is known as a thinking animal. Uh -huh. In other words, saying that murder is within our innate nature. Yeah. We were able to murder before we can even think. Now we can think, and yet we still murder. Ooh. Another, yeah. And, well, that's great, yeah. And the other thing, too, is that at the end of the movie, without spoiling too much, the death race is over. Mm -hmm. But... One of our intrepid reporters, uh, one Junior Bruce, he's unable to accept it. He wants to perpetuate the races as far as he's concerned, the American way of life, to keep the masses placated, to keep them satisfied, to keep them entertained. How they, the, the races cannot be abolished. Yeah, this is the American way of life. The only way to shut up this guy is to kill him. Mm -hmm. So 
the person who abolished the death race kills the proponent of the death race. It's interesting. I mean, the pedigree of this movie is quite unique. I mean, the story is based on a short story by the name of The Racer, which was written by, and I may be pronouncing his name wrong, Ib Melquire. Now, Ib Melquire is uh, famous for writing and directing a couple interesting uh, 60s sci- well, late 50s, yeah, 60s well. sci-fi movies for AIP, The Time Travelers, The Angry Red Planet. He also co-wrote a, a fantastic Cast movie. That we podcasted. All right, are you going to say Mario Bava? Well, there's that. No. Mm-hmm. he Well, he wrote the English language script for Planet of the Vampires, uh-huh. um, which is a Bava film, but he also co-wrote a great movie called Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Another thing that uh, Melquire is that he, he claimed, to anybody that would listen, that he was the creator of Star Trek and <laughs> okay. Space. So forget about Gene Roddenberry. It was that. <laughs> but Melquire was somebody with ideas. So there yeah. is, you know, this is an idea-driven movie, but the ideas are, as I said before, inferred. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a movie that does a lot of showing gratuitousness, but and not a lot of telling, but it's there, you know? And I really enjoy Death Race for a lot of ways. I love I love the different elements it works on. I love the fact that it's just a fun, gratuitous B-movie with some great explosions, some great characters, some great kills, some great nudity. Oh, yeah. And I like the fact that it's satirical. And I love the fact that one of my absolute favorite heroes, Sylvester Stallone, a very nascent Stallone in his career, has a very prominent role in this movie, and under some incredible dialogue of which he wrote. He wrote a lot of his own dialogue. Okay, now you're going to cite the potato head? Is that, I, I didn't write this down, but there's a potato, like, you're pretty cute for, there's, okay, you're going to fill me in? Is that one of them, or do you well, have another I, one? He's just throwing out all these, uh. all these hey, cornball! <laughs> well, you do the, the Sloan impression, so do it. Hey, cornball! Hey, cornball. Lousy stinking dirtball. Loves you stinking dirtball. You got two seconds to live. You got two seconds to live. I'm not a schmuck. I'm not a schmuck. Are you calling me a turkey? <laughs> you calling me a turkey. My, the, hey, I'm doing it pretty well this time. I think I was a little lacking in the last podcast. Me? I think you're one very large baked potato. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's just great stuff. And Say it. Uh, oh, slow okay. voice. <laughs> you, you're, you, me? I think you're a rather large Baked potato. Okay, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Yeah, yeah exactly. It depends where my awesome. voice is going. Yeah. Uh, so now, I get this, do we boldly go to, into what we've learned? Oh. Well, it's interesting when you mention like what's valued in this society because the government man is is Frankenstein, and the quote is he's the embodiment of our national virtue. Now, really, that's quite an indictment too, because essentially, if he's he's the embodiment of mass killing and mass destruction, and capricious random civilian killing so if that's the national virtue it's fair to say that we can infer that this is a a strong-arm dictator uh, who this brown shirt is leading and we have this uh, weird allusions to a one-world government which some of the paranoid people on the internet uh, allude to but here Again, the Bipartisan Council we have a reference to New Los Angeles I believe we have a reference to the French Air Force who interferes in the you know in in, well, in, the, in the course of the race. We're not going to say we're not going to say okay. on whose behalf. And but it was actually the rebels, and they the the without the giving media, too much away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's also Swiss doctors. And there, so let's it's just very, say there's disinformation about. The, yes, the yes, indeed. So we have lots of things going on. Uh, you know, this is you know more so than this pattern of 
being a dumb road race movie. And it's amazing, again, what you can do, because people malign the B-movies, but with a low budget and a dumb plot, you can examine a lot of heady, interesting issues. And that's what a lot of these, you know, Oscar bait movies really don't have going for them, is that they club you over the head with the cudgel of, you will learn something, you will be moved by this. But I learned plenty here, and I don't need to be told I'm going to be moved by something or learn something. This is a really heady, interesting movie. And so, yeah, maybe not according to Roger Ebert and his infamous Zero Star Review, but this has a long shelf life. Well, Understandably thing, I mean, so. What a know, neat I, movie. I guess that's, that's what I learned. is like, I love Roger Ebert. I really do. I hold the man in high esteem. He's one of my um, all-time favorite film critics. And For sure. Other than the local guy we have here, you know, Jeff Pazera, I really, I think Roger Ebert's my favorite. I mean, in many times I wonder, did he actually watch the movie? He dismissed <laughs> yeah. so many movies yeah. in our favorite genre by giving them these zero star ratings. And it's like, were you watching the movie, Roger? I mean, honestly, there, this, this is a movie that, yeah, in many ways it does appeal to some pure interest, but there's, again, there's so many ways of, I mean, what is subversion if not being able to satirize something through a vehicle that's more palatable for the masses and for a driving audience? Yeah. They want good one-liners, good characters, good explosions, good nudity, good kills. Yeah. And through that, it's an indictment of current societal obsessions with violence, yeah, and, and killing, if, if you check media out like obsession, and if anything, the future envisioned by death race has only become more and more yeah, prescient and, 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 as years have gone on, and very soon there will be another movie coming out, a remake of this one, produced by the indefatigable and as I please, I take back what I said at the beginning of this podcast. Do not take him. Do not take him. But do not take him. May he live to be two hundred. Roger Corman. Yeah, for sure. Death race twenty fifty. Oh yeah, and I was also thinking too. Like if you ever catch a NASCAR race, they actually do in some instances read the Lord's Prayer. So when you have a fusion of uh, like mass events with a religious impulse and then the pseudo religion of sports coming together, I mean it's not no wonder. Auto racing is one of the biggest draws on the planet. You have a hundred thousand people who will go see a Formula One race or Indy, the Indianapolis 500, one of these type races. So you have Paul Bertel using the very popular medium and violent sport of racing to attack and, uh, you know, put the screws to mass sports obsession culture, and you know, with a little bit of tweaking here and there. So really. Really and also stuff. placating of the masses through media yeah, and through, media through and spectacle sports. and yeah. circuses and whatnot. Mass spectacle, the kind you get with these displays in, the, in North Korea where you have gymnasts and weightlifters and army people all doing stuff in sync and showcasing the very worst that their society arguably has to offer. But yeah, interesting stuff. Star rating. Well... I just want to say before I give my star rating that I really do think you are one very large baked potato, Chris. Oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Mr. Potato Head. I started out this go. podcast a little bit combative. <laughs> I don't know why, but uh, I, I'm pulling All that right. back right now. Uh, so I love you, my root vegetables. You're not, yeah. a, you're not, a, you're not a potato. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm going to give this three and three quarter star here okay. because what we got, like great historical references too. Thomasina Payne, mm-hmm. uh, obviously... The you know descendant of Thomas Paine, the uh, 18th century pamphleteer who, you know, fought to give America her independence. I don't know why countries are always feminine. I don't know well, her independence. The ships are always, the motherland. Yeah, yeah. Ships are fe- whatever. 
fought against Edmund Burke to like create this wonderful country to the south of us that, you know, it's a weird, wonderful place. Let's put it that way. And uh, yeah, uh, so four, yeah. four stars, should I push it up to that? Three and three quarters. Three and three quarters. Uh, really fun movie yeah. with, uh, actually, uh, you mentioned this when we were doing our research prep work, uh, pre-show discussion. Uh, I feel like we should have a green room or something to like prepare our uh, notes here. But you said that uh, Roger Corman gave his blessing to Cinema Sins to do a wonderful. We urge people to check out the Cinema Sins version of uh, Death Ray 2000, which is funny as hell. Uh, yeah, it just f they pointed out because they're freeze framing it, and we really don't do that. But how they're clearly dummies in a scene where a couple of pedestrian types are killed trying to escape into a manhole and they're clearly dummies and it's quite hilarious but again this is four hundred thousand dollar film it's fun it's hilarious it's just it's three hundred thousand actually oh my yep. god okay but again in 1975 dollars so it's equivalent mm -hmm. to maybe a million and a half today fun as hell sensibilities john waters-esque paul bartell satire and tongue-in-cheek just great great fun yeah, what more can I say? I, yeah. I, I concur. <laughs> yeah, and for more great fun, check out our website, www.reallyawfulmovies.com. Follow us on Twitter. Send us your suggestions. Of course, your favorite Roger Corman film. I mean, my God, there's so many he's been associated with. Send it to us. We'll definitely do a podcast. And tune in to new episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Every Friday we ha upload new genre film episodes, so check it out. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Take care.